0: Hello, I'm Claudia Winkleman welcome to Business Unusual. I am thrilled to be spending the next nine weeks with you and the most inspiring entrepreneurs in the UK. These are exceptional people who have built their own businesses, sometimes on the spur of the moment, with only an idea and a can-do attitude. They themselves have been inspired to solve a problem, fill a gap in the market, but often just to improve other people's lives. Now, most importantly, they've made mistakes and learnt lessons so that we don't have to. I'm speaking to incredible people in this podcast from Vodafone Business. So let's start with one of the founders of Made.com, the designer furniture brand whose direct-to-consumer business model exploded into people's homes in 2010 from a small office in Notting Hill. Made is now challenging IKEA for its affordable furniture and this summer became a publicly traded company with yearly revenue of nearly £250 million. The man who made it has stepped away from day-to-day control of that company to create Typology, a range of radical new natural beauty products with the same values as Made. He's joining me now from Menorca, Ning Li. A huge welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: My great pleasure, Claudia.
0: We'll talk about typology, but first of all, if you don't mind, I'd like to unpick your brains about Made. Uh, tell me all about it. How did the business begin? And how quickly did you realise that transparency and affordability was going to be the key to its success?
1: So I think w- w- we started Made.com in 2010. And uh, I previously had already founded a smaller business before in, in France. And uh, I sold my business to a French group and I had uh, my um, a little bit of cash for the first time. And I was um, I bought myself a flat, you know, some security. And then after that, I had to furnish it. So I set my eyes on this beautiful couch that was about to buy 3,000 euros. You know, that was um, quite a bit of money. And uh, I was actually able to afford to pay it. But one of my friends who I grew up with in the south of China, who was, um, you know, taking over from his parents' furniture factory Uh, he's the expert of the field so i wanted to get his opinion and he said you know i sent a picture to him i I remember by the time by blackberry and he said hold on a minute you know we are making this couch just out of curiosity i say you know how much were you paying this you know you're charging this couch for and he said three hundred dollars so a three hundred dollars sofa selling for three thousand euros Um, i was shocked you know, that was such an incredible markup. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I obviously bought it from him, but I thought maybe there are other people like me who would also want to get a great, you know, designer furniture product for factory price. Hence, uh, you know, the project of May.com using internet to kind of aggregate the demand from consumers and then together have access to the factory uh, producing, um, you know, manufacturing scale, but also the price.
0: It's so fantastic. And then how did it feel? Did it feel like a very long journey or a small journey? I mean, when you floated on the stock exchange, were you like, guys, mm-hmm. look what we've done. Look what you've done. How did it
1: feel? It felt a little bit unreal. Uh, obviously, I um, I was part of that journey. I was um, the CEO for the first seven years of the business. And I transitioned to, to the team uh, over the last three years. And the team has done a much better job, I would say. You know, in the beginning, when you start a business, you sat down, you do some PowerPoint, you do some Excel, you know, you have to do that for for showing investors, you have to sell your business. And uh, in the beginning, it was just all numbers. And at the end of the day, when you saw those numbers in real, you know, customers and real products flowing off the factory. And I think there's a huge sense of satisfaction, but also some kind of unrealness, in it, you know, at least for my part.
0: I bet. Uh, what made you step down from the day to day business at Made?
1: I, I started the business and I think fundamentally I'm more entrepreneur. So I like the part of building things and doing things, the, the hands on part of the journey. I, I led that business from zero to about 100 million pounds revenue. And then at that stage, MADE was a, uh, say, 300-people um, operation. Um, we, we started to have layer of management. And, you know, it's all necessary, and it's all very cool and very, you know, exciting part of the journey. But personally, from my, my perspective, I felt that I'm getting a little bit far further and further from the product and, and from the customer in a way. So I felt my learning curve was not that steep anymore and in parallel i was um i had this girlfriend who was in paris (laughs) and we were doing a Eurostar relationship on a weekly basis at some point we had to you know to think about where we're going to start our family and it's going to be in paris so the timing was perfect for me to move to paris and also hand over the operation to philippe who's the current ceo at the time my, my number two he's a great manager and he's doing a He's been doing a fantastic job ever I, since. So
0: it's fantastic. How would you describe the difference between founder and CEO? The,
1: the founder um, and the CEO, in my sense, is two jobs. The founder is the one usually with the, the vision, the idea, um, and probably the the sense of a product in a lot of in a lot of cases. Um, whereas the CEO has to be a great, you know well-rounded executive for a lot of aspects but they are especially good for the management and I think at the age of when I started MADE I was 26, 27 and certainly I didn't learn all these management um, you know skills that some of the much more experienced executive would have been able to bring to the business.
0: That's a brilliant answer. Who did you listen to when you first started doing it? You're there, you're in your new flat You've suddenly bought this sofa for much less than you were going to. And you had all these ideas. Who helped you?
1: Oh, um, I was very lucky because my um, when I came to the UK, I really had zero network. But my first investor who also became my co-founder was Brent Hoberman. He's a person that really believed in the idea. And, and back the idea. And he gave me some of his office and he also lent me some of his team. And some of that actually, you know, transitioned into May.com. And, uh, Amazing. and yeah, so I was very lucky to be able to tap into his network. Um, I had none in the UK. And I think for entrepreneurs who start in, you know, a business in a new country, it's almost impossible unless you have some kind of, you know, local support. I guess the other entrepreneur really that I, I, I was uh, listening to a lot and learning a lot from certainly, it's another guy who called Maxime Monsigny. He He's a French entrepreneur who I really interned for. And he started a company that actually sold to match.com. Um, and I learned a lot from him, both for you know how to run an operation for the internet, how to do marketing for, for the online business. And um, he really gave me the idea and the, 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 the desire to, to start something online.
0: I imagine you take different things from different people.
1: No, absolutely. I, I like to learn really from, you know, a lot of people I meet, you know, different people. They don't have to be an entrepreneurs, obviously. They could be yeah. from anywhere. Entrepreneurs is a very, it's very solo and a lonely job sometimes. And sometimes all the issues, you know, I have, I cannot freely discuss with the employees or staff. Um, and yeah. for some of the friends, they, they don't necessarily understand, you know, what you're going through. So I think sometimes it's very good to be be able to, at least from my perspective, to read some of the perspective from other entrepreneurs.
0: Made is so successful and huge congratulations. But were there moments of self-doubt or moments where you thought, oh, no, this is just not going to work? And how did you cope with those moments?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I think it happens all the time. <laughs> um, a startup um, journey is, has never been a, a straight line. I think made has grown up and down, up and down. And there are a lot of downs, and as many as uh, there are there are ups. And when you are, you know, in the middle of that kind of downtime, it's very hard for you to to take a step back when the the, the ship is. Um, shaking you have to look at the horizon you know that's when you know where you're going you also know it's you know it's stable if you look at the long term and i think you gain some confidence and some reassurance and and also help you take a step back in a way (laughs)
0: I think that's such good advice because there'll be lots of people who are listening who want to be entrepreneurs or who are right bang in the middle of it. And that is a beautiful proverb. So thank you. We will have T-shirts made uh, at Vodafone Business. What learnings were there in made that you've carried into typology? Are you doing some of the same things?
1: Um, Yes and no. I think despite being consumer businesses, they cannot be more different because when... You know, a business like May, I would describe as a poor business. When you don't need a couch, you know, we cannot really sell you a couch. Um, So when people are looking for furniture, we have to make sure they will come to May.com as a customer. But skincare is very different. There is not really a moment when people say, oh, I need skincare. I think the, the need of skincare is more the demand is as much created it's kind of a push business. So the, the dynamics very different, but also internet has been in such a place that 10 years is a lifetime. So a lot of things have changed, especially the media has changed. When we started um, Made.com, there was no Instagram, for example. The generation of consumers are very different. So I try to also unlearn things from Made. So do not just apply the same thing again, and I think a lot of times I see some serious entrepreneurs when they fail, they try to apply the same playbook. I guess I was lucky that in between my two businesses, I had some time off um, when I came back to Paris. So I enroll enroll myself into some kind of training and internships. For example, I did a cooking course in a um, in a big par- you know ah. Parisian restaurant, and it's you know it's an internship where you have to start, you know, just cutting vegetables in the kitchen. Uh, you start at eight, and and the chef will boss you around, do this and do that. And that was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot of things from it, and certainly gave me the perspective in order to learn something new.
0: You're amazing, because I can just tell you, I on behalf of everybody who's listening, and indeed the world, if any of us floated a company on the stock exchange, we'd go and sit on a big boat and drink I don't know, mojitos while somebody was massaging our feet. I love the fact that you turned up every day at quarter to 8 a.m. and to peel a carrot. Uh, You're an advocate for the impact that coaching can have on a company's overall performance. Do you have a coach? Tell me about the importance of coaching.
1: I think the coaching was particularly important to me as a young CEO at um, May.com. When I started May.com when I was 26, 27, and I had to figure out, what kind of CEO I would going to become. Now, I have not gone to a school to learn to become a CEO because I don't believe there's a good school really for that. And also, there's no right or wrong answer. I had to figure out my own style and my own way that's adapted to me. So there's a coach that would come every week or every other week for one or two years. And she didn't really give me any answers, but instead she asked me a lot of questions leading to me realizing who I was. And she asked questions, you know, in this situation, why did you lose your temper? You know, what was it that really made you lose your temper? Is it this thing that you cannot tolerate? Do you think that thing is important for your business? Do you think, you know, that sort of things, you know, it, that made me realize what kind of value I should promote in my business because those are mine, right? And really also helped me articulate those values and as a result i can write them up and i can say hi guys this is the values you know this is what we should all work working to be to, to, to achieve yeah and and i think that's been immensely helpful because it helped me to get to gain self-awareness but also gain my realize my own leadership style
0: I find it so fascinating because you must have learned so much. And were there people in your business that you also said, I would like you to have some coaching as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, my wife did some coaching uh, um, not that not long time ago and she found it super helpful and she's been recommending to the whole team. You know, all of us, we have strengths and weaknesses and it, it, it has happened to me in the past that I recommend to some of my team to have, you know, some coaching, for example, for... You know, one of them, for example, was very good at um, technical skills, but not very good at communication or communicating his ideas. You know, I had been recommending him to do some coaching to make him realize that he has uh, this area of strength and weakness, so he can taking you know factor them into account when he talk to people.
0: I believe that you you sort of trawled LinkedIn. To find the right people. Is that true? I love that idea. You come back for dinner with your wife and you go, babe, I know I really chop vegetables well, but I'm just going on LinkedIn to find somebody tremendous.
1: <laughs> um, I spend a lot of time hiring for sure. Um, and and also I encourage my, my team to do the same. For all the managers, they all have sourcing and hiring objective in, in their personal goals. So it's not just me, but it's more like a company culture. And the the reason we do that is that uh, the great talents are really, really hard to come by. But whenever we do come by a great, you know, eight player, they really step change the business. And in the past, I always thought to grow the business, we have to do this deal or do this product. But today I realized that my time is a lot better spent in hiring the right people and making sure they're delivering on the right job than doing everything myself.
0: I mean, that's... Also, excellent advice for anybody listening. Just tell me, how important is team culture? Do you have sort of Margarita Thursdays? How important is it that they mesh in and that they uh, look after each other?
1: Yeah, no, I don't. I don't really believe in those um, startup perks. Uh, I used to, but I, I really didn't find they, they they make a huge difference. Today, what really matters for people, culture-wise, is that we hire people that have the same value. Um, you know, from the get-go, from the hiring point, at Typology, we have scorecards when we do hiring, you know, the three values that we're hiring them for, we rate them. But we also give some sort of scorecards for each team member on an ongoing quarterly basis on the, on the three values that we really want to promote. It's a kind of constant reminder of this is the values and this is we we want you guys to um, exhibit and, and, and really promote.
0: You're going to hate me, but I have to ask you what those three values are. If you don't <laughs> no, want to no, tell no, me, it's, that's it's, fine. It's super might,
1: important. No, no, no. They might be secret. No, no they are not. They, they, No, on the contrary, they're open and they're they, are, they they're are, public. So the first thing we really much value is the culture of doer. I, I really had this kind of fantasy of hiring great executives from great companies. And, and these guys, they are great at interviews, right? They really know how to present themselves. They know how to sell. But when you put them on a task, you just realize that they just don't deliver, at least at the stage of business we were in. And I realized there are a lot of there are just people that are great at doing those things that may be great for a certain kind of organization, but not right for us. So do it, super important. And then the, the value of open mind, super important for us too. We really want to build a culture where people can challenge each other, can have the humility of admitting they are wrong. Because, you know, I've seen those attributes from some of the executives in the past where they are very good at taking credits, but not very good in in owning their mistakes. And I've always hated that. So I thought, you know, we want a company with no politics, really people talking about the projects rather than territory and, and politics. So open mind is something that we really try to promote. And the other thing is what we call the extra mile. So really, we want people that go beyond what we ask them for. And we want them to take initiatives. We we don't want to have a team who are just executing on what, what we are telling them. It's an entrepreneurial project. So we are expecting people to behave like they are in an entrepreneurial team and really own the project and really go above and beyond what we ask them and take the initiatives.
0: I love those. I love that your three cores. I might now grade my children using those. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know how they do. More from my chat with Ning in just a moment. First, I want to introduce a brand new initiative from Vodafone Business. In the last year, there's been a huge rise in the need for businesses to get online. Small and medium enterprises make up 99.9% of the UK's business population. Founders and entrepreneurs have never had so many decisions to make when it comes to technology. Digital skills are more important than ever, but at least a third of small business owners in the UK said they aren't sure which tools will best suit their needs. Many haven't invested in any digital support. Some have only the most basic cybersecurity. That's why Vodafone have introduced Business.Connected, a free online training program to support 100,000 businesses across the UK. It offers free webinars, workshops, and online training modules. There are different levels of upskilling to cater to those just starting their online journey, as well as businesses looking to build on existing experience. Find out more via Vodafone Business Online Knowledge and Resource Center, VHUB, where you can sign up to business.connected and connect your business to the free tools and training you need to digitally transform. Search Vodafone business, VHub. hub So Ning, please tell me all about Typology, which I've used and I'm in love with. It's not like any other beauty product I've come across. Tell me about it and how you came up with the idea.
1: Yeah, so when I stepped down from the, the job of my day job CEO at May, I came back to Paris. Uh, we had a little kid, a little girl, who who is now three years old. Thank you. Um, now, when I when it came to buying the first products for for my my little girl and uh, of the body cream, she she had some skin eczema. I was um I, I went to the pharmacy and and I looked into some some of the skincare products and. I didn't know those brands, so I wanted to do some research about those brands. I've always been a bit of a control freak. So when it comes to my baby girl, I I, I think I went crazy. Of course. (laughs) I went crazy. So I I really... Rightly so. You know when you take a bottle of cream and you turn them around, you start reading those ingredients? I did that. And honestly, I, I didn't understand a single word of what it says. And I started Googling those ingredients online and I saw a lot of scary things you know, on some of the websites, on forums, you know, paraben, triclosan, and some of those really scary words. And I thought, wow, these things are in the cream that I'm going to put on my baby skin. How is that possible? You know, how, how can this wonderful, respected brand by this big company being doing those products for? And I look around other brands, more or less, all of them have the same issue. And I started to realize that a lot of people, just like myself, have been asking themselves the question, you know, are the ingredients in our skincare products safe for ourselves? The great thing about being based in Paris is that we had access to all these great talents working for some of the biggest groups, you know. And to my surprise, even the staff working there agreed with me, you know, we should do something to change what we are doing for so long. And because we didn't find a relevant offer on the market that I can really buy for myself, for my for my family, I thought that maybe a spot for something like typology, a line of new skincare products formulated, you know, really with a very high level of integrity and really excluding all those ingredients that are problematic for people's skin and for the planet and for just long term health.
0: How has the skincare and beauty industry how did they deal with it when they saw typology were they appalled or have they embraced
1: I think it's for them to comment um, I guess we are a startup so we are there to stir up things we're there to make a, a change yeah I think the goal of typology is not necessarily to say you guys are doing something bad and we're doing better but we want to inspire the whole industry to the kind of a different direction some of the other startups also, follow suit and doing similar things, and and nowadays some of the bigger group also started form- reformulating their products, and that's a good thing because the industry is you know following the right direction. It's just not moving fast enough.
0: How important is digital technology to typology?
1: For us, it's very important because we are it's our DNA. Um, it's um, how we started, and it's how we can make a difference. There are legacy brands that play in different attributes, but in our case, where we can make a difference and where we know to make a difference is on a digital channel. For example, when we launch a new product online, we can have feedback from customer almost from day one. You know, from day one, people can tell us, oh, you know, what do you mean by this benefit? And we can change the copy of the benefit online. And in a few days, people will say, Oh, I use your serum. You know, my skin is this or that, and we can also tweak the products to the right direction. The whole kind of speed of innovation and feedback has been just so quick and so amazing. And that is only possible when we use a digital business. And the other thing that we are doing using digital as a channel is this um, diagnostic, you know, this kind of personalized routine that we've been able to deliver. And that in a store is very, very hard. For the background is when we did some research into the, the skin, we realized there are not just four types of skins. You know, when a product works very well for a dry skin type, it doesn't work anymore for another person that has dry skin type. So we realized there may be more nuance and more complexity on skin with this this very thorough skin diagnostic that identify 24 skin types. And people can go online, do the questionnaire, and then with that, we prescribe the the right products to them. That has been proven a lot more efficacious because just because the products are really tailored to people's skin needs.
0: Absolutely. How would you like to see e-commerce develop in the next few years?
1: Uh, uh, that's a great question, Claudia. I mean, I, e-commerce has been something that I've been doing, you know, for for, for my for my most of my career. So I've really seen it evolve. But I think we, we want in the future that e-commerce can bring not just one-sided conversation, but both ways mm. in, in, in a lot more fluid way. But how exactly that's going to pan out, I don't know. Whether it's through more participation of people into the product you know, construction or through um, you know, social media, I don't know. But I, I really want to see a more fluid, both-sided flow mm-hmm. of uh, participation from consumers into the e-commerce.
0: Absolutely. Can I just ask you this? You I, I'm Just because I'm fascinated, you describe Typology as a startup. When does a startup become a company, like not a startup?
1: Yeah, I think it's a matter of mindset more than a matter of scale. I, I, think, I think Typology or May.com, they're both startups because we are set to make a difference. We are set to change the way the industry is working because we are, you know, people are motivated in a startup. They, they get up in the morning they, because they say, we're going to challenge this corporate world. We're going to challenge the status quo. We want to make something better, whether it's product, whether it's the industry or sometimes the world, you know, I think it's just much more matter of mindset than, than a scale. But of course, y- you find a lot of those mindsets in a smaller business than bigger business. Yes,
0: this is such a difficult question, but I'm going to ask you anyway because it is yours, and you might have had to think about this. Where do you see typology in ten or twenty years? Is there a plan? Is it next to your bed? Is it written out in stalks of celery from your cooking days? You know, do you do you know where it's going? <laughs>
1: um, I know where I want it to to bring it to. Um, we're going to see whether it's going to go there. Uh, <laughs> I would love to see that typology can flourish and really prove that we are successful, not just on local, but global level. And then from there, we are able to either build some other brands in same or different categories, but always following the same philosophy and same ethics, you know, brands that are transparent, um, you know, doing things for for, for the better and um, leveraging the, the innovation of digital and, and technology can bring to the table Yeah, in 10 to 20 years time. I would like to see not just one brand-like typology, but probably, I hope, a couple under the same umbrella.
0: I believe it. We all listening to you believe it, and we cannot wait. Ning, before a meeting, you quite like a memo sent round. Is that just somebody laying out an idea? Like, what about this, but in written form? Yeah. Uh,
1: (laughs) I mean, to start with, I hate meetings, and and my my team knows that. (laughs) So when there's a we have to have a meeting... I would always ask people to come prepare, including myself. And now I find that some team members, especially especially those that, that come from big organizations, they really love PowerPoint. And now I don't because I find sometimes with PowerPoint, you can dress up really mediocre ideas. Some ideas are just bad, but they just presented in such enticing and beautiful way and it's very hard to say no to. Also there are some people that have great ideas but they just don't know how to put them into great slides because they have learned it. Yes. <laughs> so I find um, written memos to be a much better leveling field and also asking people to write up their ideas really forces them to put them into words rather than image and it's a way to push people to articulate ideas and also get people to get prepared for potential challenges ahead of the meeting, because quite often um, the the meetings that I really don't like is you go to a meeting and you just say, yes, yes, yes to everything. And those meetings are pointless because you can, you know, you could have just sent something around because they are informational based. And I I like to go into a meeting where there are pros and cons, there are debates, Mm. um, challenges. And at the end, you know, we may or may not land onto the same conclusion that we will have all broadened our perspective.
0: People just have meetings to discuss other meetings. <laughs> yes. Totally pointless. I'm pleased we are joined on that. Oh. When, I say, when I say to you typology, which three words would you use or what, what springs to mind?
1: Okay. Uh, I would say is it's clean, it's modern, and it's transparent.
0: Those are three excellent words. Please, can you name three things that typology couldn't live without?
1: Okay. I think is uh, transparency, quality ingredients and a great, talented team based in Paris.
0: I love all of those answers. Um, Ning, thank you so much for talking to us from Menorca. I'm sorry that we've ruined your holiday. No,
1: not at all. It's been a great pleasure.
0: It is great to hear from a founder Lightning Lee, who has relied on digital tools for every business he's created. He is an ambassador For the true power of connection. Next time on Business Unusual from Vodafone Business, founder Pip Murray brings her positive energy. Her company, Pippinup, produces nut butter free from palm oil. They have one purpose, to help people love food that loves them and is really good for the planet. We'll find out how her job title, Chief Squirrel, this is true fact, has set the tone and culture of her company. Thank you so much for joining us today for Business Unusual. We'd love you to rate and review the podcast. And while you're there, please do subscribe to hear more from the UK's most inspirational founders in this series from Vodafone Business. Goodbye.